0: very appreciative of uh, Charlotte Elliott's words that we just sang. Uh, they, uh, they will, as you'll see, uh, in some ways capture uh, the text that we're going to look at. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. we be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, and uh, picking up on Charlotte Elliott's Words, let's remember that God is pleased to draw near to his people in his word. That you're grateful for that. And so, as, as we come, as we just saying, we come, as we come to this word, uh, I hope that you have that sense of coming to your Savior, coming to your word. And hearing what he has to say to you, not hearing what I have to say. That's not really worth that much. But hearing what God's word has to say to you. Uh, just a marvelous passage. Of course, I always say that about every passage. I, <laughs> by, by the time I finish studying a passage, every passage is my favorite passage. <laughs> uh, but uh, this one, a uh, really wonderful passage for us to consider today. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Let's hear this as the Lord's word to us this day. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, "Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table." And Jesus answered her, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire." And her daughter was healed. Instantly. Well, we have a shift of location here, a very marked shift of location because Jesus is taking his disciples outside of Israel. They've gone north and west toward the coastline. Uh, there are some ancient cities there, Tyre and Sidon. Now, it doesn't appear that they actually go into the cities, but they go into the region that's uh, sort of associated with those cities there, and, and so they're, they're leaving Galilee, where, where we've been reading the narratives uh, being placed uh, mostly in the last uh, several Sundays. Uh, it, it, is that leaving a sign of judgment? You just about have to ask that question, because we have read earlier, even in this chapter, of the Uh, of the opposition of the religious elite that is growing more and more intense. They've come to the point of beginning to say that Jesus is actually casting out demons by the power of the devil. In other words, they're saying he's in league with the demoniacs. And the crowds seem not to be getting anything out of his teaching. They're very willing to profit from his miracles. But his teaching seems to go in one ear, out the other. We don't see any mass repentance. His preaching, remember, has been repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we've seen no widespread response to that. And even the disciples (laughs) seem not to be getting it. He's rebuked them for having little faith. He, He has almost an exasperation in the previous episode said, do you still not understand? After two years with me, you still can't get what I'm saying? Well, we don't know exactly why, at least. Perhaps it is to give himself and his disciples just a brief respite from a what must be a grueling schedule. As by now, he's become so popular that, that crowds are always around. Enemies are always threatening him. People are always wanting things from him. Maybe, they're, maybe he's just giving them a little space. Uh, and so they, they go toward the coast. They're eventually going to wind up in an area called Caesarea Philippi. This, this may take some months. Uh, it appears to be about the spring of A.D. 29 when he's going here. Well, if they're expecting, if they're expecting quiet, they don't get it. They don't get it, do they? Behold, whenever you see that word, of course, Matthew is trying to get your attention. Okay, that's, that's a common marker that's used in the Greek language to get your attention. Here's, here the action is about to start, he's saying. Okay, this is the inciting moment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put the plot into action. Behold, look, listen, it could even be translated, a Canaanite. Now, he's sort of using an old word that's not even in, in use much anymore by the time he writes this. Uh, the people of this region would be known as Syrophoenicians. The Greeks called them Phoenicians. Kids might be interested to know that Phoenician means purple people <laughs> because they, they traded in a very expensive purple dye that they extracted, I think, from uh, shellfish. Anyway, this is sort of known as Syrophoenician now. That's the way Mark identifies this woman in his account. But Matthew says she's a Canaanite. Now, why is he doing that? I think it's because he, he wants us to immediately sort of be jarred, to, to be taken aback and to realize this is something very different than we've seen Jesus encountering anywhere before. The Canaanites, you remember, uh, were the people who lived in the land of promise before Israel conquered it. Okay, the Canaanite culture was very advanced. In fact, the first, uh, first evidence we have of an alphabet comes from the Canaanites, okay, at very ancient cities. Uh, if you go to the city of Jericho, which was originally a Canaanite settlement, you'll you're see a sign there proclaiming that it's the oldest city in the world. Tyre and Sidon were wealthy, prosperous, okay, it was a highly developed culture, but it was ungodly to the core. Rampant idolatry, abuse of children, sounds a little familiar. But be that as it may, Matthew is identifying her as a one of a people, a, a descendant of a people under God's curse. Noah cursed the Canaanites centuries before, and God judged the Canaanites in the conquest by Israel. You can't get farther out of God's covenant people than to be a Canaanite cannot get farther away from God's covenantal grace to Israel than to be a Canaanite. This Canaanite woman from the region comes out, and she doesn't seem to be in the least shy about approaching this Jewish wandering preacher as a Canaanite woman, and so she cries out. She's shouting. Okay, you'll, you'll see that, that this woman is an extremely assertive person. She has something she wants, and she's going to get it. So she's crying out, have mercy on me. Have mercy. Now, I want you to notice something right away. I want you to notice that she does not come claiming a right to any favors from Jesus. She just wants mercy. She has nothing to give him, there's no way she can pay for what she wants. She's just crying out for mercy. But we know, of course, she's crying out to exactly the right person. (laughs) Because Jesus is merciful. He's the preacher of mercy. Remember back in Matthew chapter 5 when we were reading the Sermon on the Mount, he said... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. She, in God's providence, is crying out for mercy from the one person who can truly extend to her the mercy of God. This isn't a coincidence, is <laughs> it? This is not coincidence. Coincidence. He is crying out for that mercy, that, uh, that loving kindness, that covenant love that, in fact, uh, Micah spoke about in the, in the piece, the choir saying, have mercy on me. But look at how she addresses him. This is very important. Look at how this Canaanite woman outside of Israel is addressing Jesus. O Lord, son of David. Now, the Greek word for Lord here can just be a term of respect. It can be used in the sense of sir, okay, a polite way to address someone, like we say, Mr you know, when we're trying to be polite to someone. It can't have that meaning, legitimately. But, it is also the word used to to translate two names of God from the Old Testament. One is a name that means master, ruler. Uh, A name sometimes used of kings or other rulers. So it can translate that name. But even more significantly, when the Greek translators of the Old Testament were translating from the Hebrew to the Greek, they used Lord to translate the covenant name that God gave to his people, the name that we think is pronounced Yahweh. And your Bible's perhaps Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament books. So it's possible to translate it that way. Now, which way do you think she's using it? Is she just being polite? This guy's a stranger, and so she's just being polite to him? Or do you think there's more to it? I mean, we see sometimes even people that are clearly not Jesus' friends using this phrase. But I think we can make an argument that she's not just being polite here. And I think we can make that argument because of the name that she gives him next, son of David. It is absolutely astounding to hear this name from a Canaanite. Son of David. You know who David is. He's the greatest king of Israel. And when that phrase, son of David, is used, it's nothing less than a name for the Messiah, the anointed one that they are looking for, the one whom they believe will restore the kingdom, sit again on the throne of his ancestor David, and issue it, enter into a a a wonderful, a wonderful millennium of of prosperity and peace. It's that name. It's a messianic name. Where is she getting that? She must have. In addition to being very intelligent, that's obvious as well in the text. She's a very smart woman. But she's got to have been familiar enough with Israel and Israel's history to know what she's talking about here. Son of David. This is, I believe, the first indication of her faith. She's looking at this Jewish man, former manual laborer, doesn't have much except the clothes on his back, wandering without even a permanent home. She's looking at this man and saying, this is the Messiah. This is the son of David. I think it's only the eyes of faith that could enable her to see that. Notice the contrast too with what we were reading earlier in in this chapter. Where, where you remember where Jesus was debating with the uh, rulers about what really constitutes defilement, what really makes a person unclean, and they're saying, "Oh, you got to do this hand-washing ritual, and and you got to you got to follow all these rules about what you touch." and, and where you go, and and et cetera, et cetera. And, And he says, it's not that. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Because out of your mouth comes the evidence of your sinful heart. And in fact, they were a prime example of that, weren't they? Out of their mouth is coming threatening. Out of their mouth is coming plans to kill him. Out of their mouth is coming condemnation of other people, and I really think we're invited in this text to contrast that with what's coming out of this woman's mouth. Her words are revealing her faith, don't you think? Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Notice. You can't have missed it. Notice, she's not asking mercy for herself, is she? It's her daughter. This is a request born out of love. Her daughter is severely oppressed. Literally, it says wickedly demon-oppressed in the text. Could be, there could be an implication that she's physically ill as well as being demonically oppressed. This mother has tried everything. Well, mother wouldn't. She's gone everywhere. And now she has the opportunity to approach Jesus and beg for mercy for her daughter. Oh, can't, can't you just imagine how elated she must have been to hear that there is a strange group of Jews just come into town, just come into the area, and one of them is called Jesus. Can't you see her seeing the crowd? I mean, she could recognize them, I'm sure, by their appearance, by by their dress, very different than that of the people around around, uh, her and the different ethnic background. And she sees them. Don't you feel your heart leap? She recognizes. I can't believe it. God has brought this man into my neighborhood. And So what else is she going to... I think as soon as she saw him, from a distance, I think, she starts calling out to him. I don't think even she, she waits to, to, to get up to him. She's, she's yelling down the street, calling to him. Again, this is a woman. There, there's not a shy bone in her body. She, she is assertive. Okay, She's not like that woman that just slipped through the crowd and tried to touch the hem of Jesus' robe. She cannot let this opportunity go by. So she cries out, have mercy on me. And she explains her great need. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Surely this one who never hesitated to help anybody. In fact, who who often responded to needs before he was even asked. Remember, he fed over 5,000 without them even asking for something to eat. He just just sees need, and he meets need. He's, He's like his Father in heaven. And isn't that what makes it so astounding when we read that he does not answer her a word. We've never read him doing this before. And she keeps asking. The disciples' words in a moment imply she just keeps on yelling, shouting, shouting. So we really have sort of a visual image of Jesus and his disciples just continuing to walk, and and this woman is behind them yelling, shouting, and Jesus is not saying anything. Have you known the silence of God? Have there been times in your life where it seemed like you're crying out and he wasn't saying a word? After his wife Joy died, C.S. Lewis, in an attempt to sort of get through that that great grief that he felt, he, he collected all the empty notebooks, blank notebooks in his house and started writing. And this is one of the things he wrote. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, Silence. We see that experience in the Psalms. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 44, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Psalm 80, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Jeremiah in Lamentation says, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Later in that same chapter, you have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You've wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. If you've been in a circumstance like that, you know, you know what this woman is experiencing. Silence of God in the face of her prayers. She doesn't give up. She persists. She perseveres. I think already we're seeing, again, another indication of the strength of her faith. Her faith is not going to let go even when outwardly it appears that her prayers are going unanswered. She will pray for as long as it takes. I believe she would have followed Jesus all the way back to Israel, calling out, have mercy on me, for my daughter is severely demon oppressed. I don't think she would have given herself a moment's rest. It would have persisted in prayer. Well, it's enough to irritate the disciples. (laughs) They've had enough they probably don't understand exactly what Jesus is doing, but they've had, a, had it with this woman. I mean, she's really making a scene here. Send her away. She's, she's just continuing to call out behind us, they say. We don't know exactly what they mean by that. Do they mean, well, meet her need so that she'll go away? We want to read it charitably we'd say that he said they're they're implying that jesus should meet her need and could be they're just saying get rid of her if you're not going to answer her request get rid of her really either way you take it the disciples don't come off too well here do they <laughs> even if they're saying you know give her an answer to your prayer so she'll go away that really is reflecting more concern about their own inconvenience, isn't it? They're not saying, oh, don't you feel sorry for this poor lady, Lord? Don't you want to meet this need? No, she's bugging us. Will Will you please get rid of her? I trust, I hope, that we are not a people... To respond to the needs of others with irritation because our schedule is being interrupted. You know what it's like, Okay, You know what it's like to have a need and to be seeking to meet that need and have people ignore you or even worse, shun you. Don't do that to anybody else. Disciples need to learn that lesson, don't they? They will, <laughs> but they're not there yet. Well, he answers, verse 26, with the text here, he answers in verse 26, is he speaking to them or is he speaking to the woman? Okay, It's not totally clear. He could just be saying to the disciples, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I think, think, though, that he's, he's answering mainly the woman here. And I'm going to argue that because of what she called him earlier. Remember, she called him the son of David. And I really think that Jesus instantly knew, with this woman's first cry, I think he instantly knew where she was coming from, and further, I think he instantly intended to meet that need, but he's delaying. We'll talk a little bit about why maybe in a minute. So, when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you see how that fits with her title, Son of David. Okay, the Son of David is the one who's going to rule over Israel. Son of David is the one who's going to come as the anointed one and proclaim God's kingdom to God's people. Of course, that's what Jesus has been doing repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying, My mission, the mission that the Father gave me, Remember, we're told that he's always doing the Father's will. He delights in doing the Father's will. He never does anything but the Father's will. And the Father's will is that he preach the kingdom to God's covenant people and be rejected and lay down his life. And he's not going to be deferred from that, so we could say that in a very real way, what Jesus is saying is exactly true. It is not right that he shift from his preaching, his ministry in English, in Israel, and, and go to the Gentiles and, and conduct a preaching campaign there. That's, that's not the Lord's will. But let's also remember, he's healed Gentiles before. <laughs> the two are not incompatible. It's not incompatible with his mission to Israel to heal the centurion's servant, that Roman career military officer's servant who certainly must have been a Gentile. I think we're going to see him ministering to a lot of Gentiles coming up pretty quickly. But he's saying, my mission the reason I came is focused on Israel. And I think he's, he's saying, okay, ma'am, what do you think of that? Well, we see what she thinks of that in verse 25, don't we? Now she's becoming even bolder. She presses right through, and she kneels before him. I think that's the right translation for that word, by the way. It can mean worship, but I don't, I don't think the focus is on worship here. I think the focus is on her physical action of kneeling down in front of him and asking, Lord, second time she's calling him Lord. Notice, notice that? Lord, help me. She's hearing what he says about his mission, She still believes he can help her. You got to love this, this woman, don't you? So, verse 26, now he, he speaks, and this must be to her, must be to her. It's not right, it's not fitting, it's not appropriate to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now he's shifting his metaphor. The other metaphor was one of a shepherd looking for lost sheep. And of course, the Old Testament is abundant with references to God saying that he's gonna be the shepherd who seeks out his sheep. Well, now Jesus shifts that to a different metaphor. This is one of a, of a family home. And, and he says, he, he could have said, you as a mother know, it's not right to take the food for the children and throw it to the dogs. Again. Again, a test of her faith. Jesus has spoken of that heavenly kingdom where his people will feast in the presence of God, and with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember that? But if you remember that, you also remember that he goes on to say to the Jews that he's talking to, and a lot of you will not be there, but Gentiles (laughs) will. Now we have no indication that she's heard that teaching but she is not to be denied." She gives one of the most brilliant speeches in all of Scripture, I think, to come from a human being, in verse 27. This is a, an extremely intelligent and articulate, quick-thinking woman. You know? I never think quickly on my feet. I always think of what I was supposed to say in a situation the next day. <laughs> she is sharp. She's got it right away. And you really need to, to notice what she says. Yes, Lord. Third time she's using the, word, the name Lord. Oh, I think every time she uses it, it's increasing in its significance and its meaning for her. Yes, Lord. Lord. And I disagree with what most translations do next because they have a yet after yes, Lord. But that's a translation of a word that almost always means for. In fact, the, uh, the King James and the uh, ESV translate that same word for over a thousand times. And only about 40 times do they not translate it as four. Now, it sounds a little awkward, but I think, I think it should be four. Because I think what she's doing is she's taking the truth that she is acknowledging from, from the Lord. Okay, you are right, Jesus. You're right in what you say. You're right that your mission is to Israel, first of all. The mission to the Gentiles is going to come. He's already said that to his disciples. But now's not, not the right time for that. And you are right. You are right. That the food of God's children should not be given to dogs. That the privilege of the blessings of God are for his children, not for those who don't belong to him. So she's saying you're right in that. But rather than asking for an exception, you see the yet sort of implies she wants an exception or or a but would imply she's wanting, wanting an exception or sort of asking him to bend the rule a little bit. But she's not doing that. She's saying, because you say this, I know that it surely follows. That's what she's saying. For even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Lord, I know, I know that your mission is to the Jews. I know that God's provision is for his children. I accept that. But crumbs from the table will be enough for me. I'm not asking it to make me into a Jew. I'm just asking for a crumb. And that's all it would take. It will just take a tiny crumb of God's mercy to heal my little girl. That's all I'm asking for. That's what Jesus is looking for. I think this, this whole scene here has been designed by Jesus. Okay, he's always in control. He's always in charge. He's not taken by surprise. The Spirit of God has led him to this place. I think as soon as that woman cried out, he knew, okay, here's, here's why the Spirit's got me here. But he's about something in this woman's life. I think indirectly in the disciples' lives too, and I'll mention that in a minute. But I think he's about something in this woman's life. He wants to show her the greatness of her faith. I think that's that's what he's doing here. He, he knew she had faith from the beginning, I'm convinced. But he wanted to give her an opportunity to cause that faith to shine, to grow strong, to glow with a holy fervor. And So he delays answering and he puts up these obstacles knowing that she's going to overcome them. And he can say, great is your faith. I I think he said that with a smile and a loud voice so everybody heard it. Great is your faith. That is not said of anyone else in the Gospels. In the Synoptic Gospels, no one is commended by Jesus as having a great faith. Not any of the countless Jews that he heals. Not any of the disciples. Well, the disciples are just in the opposite place, aren't they? He's always saying they got little faith. And that's sort of the other side of Jesus' agenda here. I think he's showing his disciples, you want to know what faith is? Okay, I've been telling you guys you have little faith. I want to show you what real faith looks like. Real faith looks like this woman. This woman has great faith. You want to know what faith is? There it is. And I think that's what he's saying to us. I mean, this this woman is a model of humility, right? We could say that uh, she's very humble, and and that's that's wonderful. We could say that She's very intelligent, uh, she's a lot of smarter than I am, I wish I was as smart as, as her, but I think what he's really wanting us to focus on is what he's drawing our attention to, the great faith. Are you a person of great faith? Now you may be thinking, I could never be a person of great faith, I, I, I just don't don't have what it takes. Well, remember, faith is a work that God does in people. And it's he who has given this woman this gift of great faith. Now, we don't know all the circumstances that he used to do that. Okay, there were probably many, many things in her life that he used to bring her to this great faith, but we do know one thing for sure. And that is, he drew her through her need. She had a desperate need. And that desperate need called out her faith. Maybe instead of analyzing how much faith you've got, you should think about how much you need what's your need it's it's not easy to admit your need maybe you're the kind of person that would rather get angry and argue than admit that you've got a need and the more people begin to think you're in need the angrier you get maybe you're uh maybe you're a person whose need drives you to work harder to simply put out more to drive yourself maybe uh Maybe you are a person who denies your needs by covering it up with drug use or alcohol abuse or some other distraction from the, from the need you have. Maybe you're, you're a person who denies your spiritual needs by, t- by continually trying to satisfy your material needs. You, you just can never have quite enough stuff, never have quite enough in the bank account. You're always wanting more. You don't want to confess your deep need is at a spiritual level, and that is, in fact, the deepest need of any human being. You have a need for food. You have a need for relationships with others. But you have a deep spiritual need that is deeper than any other needs you've got. And nothing and no one can meet that need except Jesus Christ. This woman learned that, didn't she? Her deep need was satisfied only in Jesus. And be certain when you come to that point of admitting your need, be certain that just as was the case with this woman, only a crumb will satisfy that need. The smallest bit of the mercy of God will meet your deepest needs. In fact, God is loved with a love that provides a mercy that is infinitely beyond your need because he has met that need in himself. He has taken upon himself your sins. He has suffered for those sins to make atonement for you. The Father gave the Son so that he could be merciful to you. Is he going to be failed to be merciful to you now? If you doubt the mercy of God, look at Jesus Christ, because in him, God has shown to us mercy. Receive that. Receive that by faith. May your faith be that great faith of this woman because you've realized your great need and that you have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we are a needy people from day to day. Be that one who, who meets our needs. May we be daily confessing our need, repenting of our sins, and daily receiving by faith the forgiveness that you extend to us, and be strengthened by that in our faith so that we can live as your loving and obedient people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.